0: Uh,
1: uh, uh Uh, uh, uh back with you another edition of the degenerate hawkeyes podcast trenton biz here with you on a tuesday afternoon getting ready for i win their final game before the second bye of the season as they go on the road to take on northwestern it was a Victory against Purdue, not always pretty, but a win is a win. That was certainly the prevailing theme after the game from the players and coaches in the locker room. Iowa wins at biz against hated rival Purdue.
0: I want to start by uh, lodging a complaint about this Tuesday podcast. Uh, with you moving it up unexpectedly in the week, uh, Stat Boy had to do his, uh, his real job today. Uh, who knew Stat Boy had a real job, but... Uh, so I actually had to do some of my own work this week, okay. so uh, I, I apologize in advance if uh, any of the information that comes out in the next thirty minutes is, is inaccurate. But Fatboy uh, did give me the uh, the general information, but I had to dig through it to uh, to find the information I was looking for. So uh, if, if there's any inaccuracies this week, I'm to blame, not Fatboy.
1: All right. So but, we all,
0: yeah. we... but on the flip side, yeah, yes, yeah. the Hawkeyes won. That's uh, that's the important thing. Not the prettiest of a. Uh, victories
1: but a, a win nonetheless a win is a win and iowa moves their record now to five and two a game away from bowl eligibility and still a lot back on the table of course with the loss from wisconsin over the weekend against illinois as they fall to the illini we'll get into that i'm sure here a little bit later but let's take a look back at the game what we saw at kinnick stadium and biz uh let's start with some positives certainly there are plenty of positives to take away, I didn't run the football overly effectively, but got it going at times, including what turned to be the clinching drive after the first of two uh, onside kicks from Purdue. I would cover both of them up. The first one, though, they marched right down the field after a personal foul, pounding the ball into the end zone. At least there, the running game got going.
0: Yeah, but I. I, I... The two positives I took from this game, Trent. One, I thought Nate Stanley played great. I-, I thought it was one of one of, if not his best game ever. I mean, the stats don't necessarily show it cause he didn't have any passing touchdowns, but he was just in total command. I thought the whole game. I, I thought he was accurate. I thought he got us into the right plays. I thought uh, he threw three or four beautiful deep balls. Um, the other thing I really liked is I just thought our coaching staff had a much better. Offensive game plan than we did the first the last two weeks. Uh, we moved the pocket a little more for Stanley. We had a lot more quick throws. Um, I think they finally have come to the conclusion that, which everybody else, I think, already knew, which is that our interior line is not good, and they uh, they game planned around that. And mm-hmm. you're correct. The running game got it done when it needed to, but. The fact of the matter is, we're just not a very good running team, and we're not going to be a very good running team the rest of the, the year. So uh, I think our coaching staff has, has come to that conclusion, and we were definitely a past-first team for the vast majority of the game. Unfortunately, Nate Stanley uh, was up to the task. So I was really impressed with him. I, I thought he uh, he played really well.
1: Stanley was good in the game. Brandon Smith was excellent, unfortunately, for Iowa. He was lost late in the game, got hit Down in the ankle by a helmet looks like something that very well could keep him out here, not just uh, this week against Northwestern, maybe for a longer time than that. We'll see on that as uh, press conferences are going on this afternoon. But certainly uh, with the negativity there, positives of Brandon Smith and maybe playing his best game in a Hawkeye uniform, and he goes out with an injury.
0: Uh, I think they said this afternoon he's out, what, three to five weeks, I think, is Mm -hmm. the official official announcement, which uh, certainly would seem to be that he's out through Wisconsin for sure. Um, that play, and I'm not in any way trying to say that this led to the injury, but uh, that was a play that there were multiple plays again on Saturday where we had to rush at the last minute and we, we didn't seem to know what we wanted to do. We had to change things at the last minute and then we hurried to snap of one second left on the clock. And it was just a play that was kind of dead from the get go. Um, and that, for whatever reason, happened three or four different times. Again on Saturday, on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, we looked uh, confused at times, which uh, is frustrating. By the time you get to Game Seven, those things should be cleaned up, and they certainly haven't. But uh, you know, it's it, it, there's a lot of things about this team, Trent. I, I hate to say it, but I think we just we are what we are at this this point. We're a, we're a good, but certainly not great football team.
1: No, no, they're they're okay. They're uh, well, they're Iowa football. They are seven and five, eight and four, good, and maybe that's just about what they are and what the ceiling is, unless something miraculous happens, and uh, that's what it is. You know, Biz, as you go through it in the passing game and what Iowa is going forward for at least the rest of this season, it leads to a bigger question and their inability to run the football and what they should be going forward. You know what this is going to be. Iowa's chance, obviously, is still there to go on, beat Wisconsin, and win the Big Ten West and beat Minnesota and all comers and run the table from here on out. It seems very unlikely to do that. Can they beat Wisconsin, though, being a passing team? Can, can they do that going in there and Nate Stanley throwing the football around Camp Randall 45 to 50 times? Because I still don't see that being the game plan to win it. To win that game, you got to ugly it up and win it 16-13. you got to find a way to... To win an ugly game, run the football, control clock for a while, out Wisconsin, Wisconsin. I think that's Iowa's only shot of winning that game. Well, uh,
0: you, you like, I can't disagree with you, but on the flip side of that, Wisconsin just lost to Illinois, so uh, you know that's something I never would have thought I was going to say. I mean, Wisconsin just doesn't lose those type of games. They, they have for years made a living mm-hmm. on just beating down the uh, the lesser teams. So you know they're not a great offensive team. So if we can, you know, I think if we can make them throw the football, you never know. I mean, because obviously that, Illinois was able to do that. They were for somehow, some way, they were able to slow down Jonathan Taylor, at least, you know, they weren't gonna, they're weren't going to, not going to stop him, but they slowed him down. You know, if we can follow that same recipe that Northwestern, you know, Northwestern slowed him down. Illinois slowed him down. Um, I don't see a reason why we can't slow them down. Um, so I, I think, the recipe to beating Wisconsin is not so much what we do. It's limiting what they can do. I mean, if they can establish their running game and they get 200 plus yards rushing, they're going to win. But if we can somehow limit them to 150 or less, you know, we just got to find a way to scrape together uh, 17 points and win the game. So, you know, I still don't feel even remotely optimistic that we're going to go into camp Randall and win, but, uh, you know, clearly they're not the, uh, the machine that we thought they were.
1: Fair, fair point. Now, here's the negative. And to me, one of the biggest negatives of this game is the inexplic- inexplicable idea that you, hey, up you tw- your <laughs> exactly up 12, you kick an extra point with two minutes and change left. What this is, some of the simplest football math that is out there. There is no difference, no difference between being up 12 and 13 points unless you truly believe that Purdue's extra point kicker is going to miss one of those extra points. If that's your belief, okay, so be it. But Purdue's not getting the football back three times to kick two field goals and score a touchdown. You go for two every single time in there. There's not a football coach from junior high all the way to NFL that goes for a single extra point in that situation, yet Iowa does biz. Explain this to me because I don't think you can.
0: I can't. And uh, the other question, end of, I believe it was the third quarter, we uh, were more than happy to just let the clock run out. Nate Stanley was sitting there waiting. The, the, the play clock had, uh, was no longer on. And inexplicably, our coaching staff sprinted down the field to call a timeout with three seconds left, for for what reason I have no idea whatsoever. We ended up running one more play in the quarter, and then and I believe punted the next play. But uh, why we felt we had to call a timeout in that situation? Again, there's no. I mean, our whole section kind of turned and looked around at each other and said, "What what what do we just do?" And same thing with the uh, with the two point conversion. I mean, it's you know, a hundred out of a hundred people would have chosen the other option, but uh, our coaching staff. Uh, Chose uh, option B, which, again, uh, there's been some just baffling decisions from time to time, and there's no explanation for that, and I I don't get it. But you know, at some point, shame on you and me for uh, thinking thinking that things are going to change on that front.
1: Very true. I I just I, I don't think that is anything that I don't know. It's the simplest order of football, and that's the frustrating part here. We're not talking about. Know, a simple decision inside the course of a 60-minute game. We're not talking about a play call here or there. We're talking about simple math. Go for two there. Take a 14-point lead. And I was just waiting. I was waiting for berdu to get that second onside kick. Score a touchdown. Final score 27-26. And away we go. I, it just, it almost felt inevitable to me. Luckily, uh, that obviously didn't happen.
0: Yeah, it certainly had that vibe inside Kinnick that uh, it was kind of a, uh Everybody had that feeling of doom, but fortunately, it didn't uh, didn't come through. Let's let's get back to the positive trends. Uh, two things I wanted to mention. First, on the defensive side of the ball, I was really impressed with the two true freshmen that played. Both Campbell and Belton uh, looked like they belonged, and they looked uh, they looked comfortable out there. And then uh, your man Keith Duncan once again, uh, <laughs> the man's a machine. He's now I saw somewhere he is up to. He is the number two scorer in the Big Ten right now, behind uh, behind Jonathan Taylor. So uh, that that's probably not something we should be bragging about yes, when when you're a, your kicker is your your leading scorer. But uh, you hit the nail on the head when you predicted at the start of the year that he was going to be a, uh, a strength and not a weakness.
1: He certainly has been that, what, 17 out of 19, I believe, on the season. He's a perfect 4-for-4 four four on Saturday, 2-for-2 two two on the extra points. But, yeah, if he falls a little bit further down on that Big Ten scoring list and it leads to more touchdowns once Iowa gets to the 30-yard line, that would be a positive I think everybody would sign up for going forward. You know, you mentioned uh, Jack Campbell and him and Dane Belton going in there. Campbell's a kid that I saw him play at Cedar Falls a couple of different times, and he was as good of a linebacker I've seen at the high school level here in the state of Iowa. He's as good as I had seen since Pat Angerer. And people that remember Angerer and he was at Bettendorf and playing basically with one shoulder out there, how dominant he was and how fast he was sideline to sideline, that was Jack Campbell to me. He was outstanding last season at Cedar Falls, a kid that I was certainly excited about his future, and he already ready, looks ready to be a guy that's going to take over there. I was certainly, I'm more impressed that, out of him than what we've seen out of Dylan Doyle early on. I think we got the heir apparent at middle linebacker, in my mind, with Campbell.
0: Well, from a, from a straight-line speed standpoint, it, it, it seemed pretty obvious to me that Campbell is just a faster linebacker mm-hmm. than Doyle. I mean, when, when he made the decision to go, I mean, he was... Uh, Josie Jewel esque as far as uh, getting from sideline to sideline. I and mean, obviously, he's got light years to go to you getting know, close to Jewel as a linebacker. But uh, the skill set is definitely there, and that's uh, you know it was it was nice to see. And then Dalton just looked comfortable. I mean, that's a very difficult position, and we're asked to do a lot as far as playing run and pass both. And he didn't look out of place at any point, as far as I could tell. And you know. Purdue Purdue definitely tried to pick on him a few times, and he seemed uh, up to the task, at least
1: for one game. Riley Moss comes off the bench after being injured most of this season. He gets an interception, nearly had two picks in the game. Thought he played pretty well at times against David Bell, and boy, I know it came down to the wire in the recruiting services for him. He would have looked pretty good in a different shade of black and gold as opposed to Purdue. Would have been nice to have David Bell run around. Even though Iowa finally has receivers, a guy like Bell would have helped.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a reason he was a uh, a primary target of our coaching staff. He he uh, he's pretty impressive, and uh, you know, I thought this was a little different the last two years. The last two years when Purdue was abusing us, it was more because a bad D back play. I think this year it was more because uh, David Bell was a a star. I mean, obviously Hankins had a rough day, but I don't think he was nearly as bad as what we saw the last couple of years. So. Mm-hmm. All in all, Trent, uh, it's a W, and uh, you know, we're back, back in the win column.
1: Back in the win column. John Wagner gets his first sack, a little rotation there, so a little bit more out of the defensive end position. He was in a couple of different times. Van Volkenberg was out there, played some snaps, so certainly good to see. All right, so we talked about the offense and what they were able to do. You mentioned Stanley, even without a touchdown, playing very well. The run game goes over 100 yards rushing in the game, though, not a great game against the Purdue team that had struggled against the run. But uh you have here some hope for the offense and uh what we can do going forward. What do you got for us?
0: Well this is what I was saying, I, I stat boy gave me the, the the general information for the last three games and I and I had to to piece through it to see if the, what I thought was, was accurate really was, and it, and it is. So what I asked that boy to do is just to get me the drive information for the last three games because it feels like it's been almost like the movie Groundhog's Day the last three games. We've uh, done a pretty good job of moving the ball, but uh, been our own worst enemy and just not been able to, to finish drives. So when you look back at the last three games, Trent, there's a per, some pretty clear patterns that emerge. So you're ready to kind of dig into the uh, – the drive history of the last three games?
1: Yeah, let's see what you got for us. All
0: right, well, first off, right right off the bat, we've had more first downs than all three of our last three opponents, and we're we're one and two, obviously. Um, Iowa-Michigan game, we had 34 minutes of time of possession, and we had the ball for over eight minutes in every single quarter. In that game, we had 13 possessions that that weren't end-of-half or type possessions. Of the 13 possessions, only one three-and-out, and we drove to the Michigan side of the field seven times. So I mean, you're getting past midfield seven out of 13 times. You certainly should score more than three points, you'd think. So, you know, but my purpose for this whole review is, is to show that the offense is probably closer to being decent than, than we're giving them credit for at this point. This isn't some of the inept offenses that always had in the past where, you know, we we just were terrible. I mean, we're not a terrible offense. We're just not getting things done when we need to. So what I did is I, I looked at the Michigan game, Trent, after the first drive into Michigan territory where we drove down to the four and got a field goal. The next six drives are absolutely incredible to look at. The next six drives, or the last six drives, where we got into Michigan territory. We had 29 plays in Michigan territory. You want to take a guess at how many yards we gained on those 29 plays?
1: 29 plays for 29 yards.
0: Well, it was, you're, you're 45 yards off, Trent. 29 plays for negative 16 yards. Good God. And most of that comes from the one drive, the debacle with the uh, three penalties in the sack that went minus 26. But uh, of the six, here's the list, Trent. Six drives gained one yard. Next play, zero yard. or next drive, zero yards and an interception. Next play, gained seven yards and threw an interception. Next play, one yard and a punt. Next drive, Minus 26 yards. This was the debacle, and then the last of the seven was the uh, four plays ended in one positive yard due to the, uh, the the scrambling efforts at the end. So added up, we had 29 plays in Michigan territory, minus 16 yards, four sacks, five penalties, and two picks. So uh, our own worst enemy. So you jump forward to the Penn State game, uh, and the same story emerges: Trent more first downs than Penn State, more yards than Penn State. We had 11 possessions and only two three-and-outs. And again, in the 11 possessions, we got in Penn State territory six out of the 11 times. So over 50% of the time. So again, you'd expect to get more than than 12 points. But again, we shot ourselves in the foot a lot. This time, Trent, in the six possessions in Penn State territory, we had 27 plays. We did a little better this time. But you want to guess how many yards we had in the 27 plays in uh, Penn State territory?
1: Uh, we'll go two play uh, two yards per play, 54.
0: You're, you're actually under on this time. We had 88 yards, but that's skewed because two of the drives—one was 43 yards, the touchdown at the end—and the other one was a 36-yard drive where we drove down inside the five um, and kicked the field goal. The other four drives combined, we gained uh, a, a, we, we gained negative three yards. So, and again, we we had three penalties and a sack. So uh, our own worst enemy again. You jump to the Purdue game, same story for the third time, Trent. More yards than Purdue, 35 yards of time of possession, over eight minutes of possession every single quarter again, 11 drives in the game, only one three and out, and again, seven times in Purdue territory. So if you take out the last drive, Trent, the one where we had the two plays with 35 yards rushing, the other six combined, again, you looked at 30 plays, 85 yards, one touchdown, and three field goals. So same story all three times. So when you look back at those three games, this is an offense that uh, has moved the ball but just not been able to finish drive. So you, you want to look at the amazing totals of those three games?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I do, but uh, what do you got to on us?
0: Well, total, 35 possessions in the three games. In the 35 possessions, only four three and out. So four, four out of 35, that's very good. 18 possessions we had seven or more plays so we had, you know not even close to three now it's on 50 percent of the drives and 20 of the 35 possessions we got in enemy territory past the 50 yard line but uh what's killed us is just a complete inability to, to finish those drives when, when you take out the last drive against purdue the other 18 drives we had a total of 86 plays for 157 yards so uh you're looking at less than two yards per play. And of those drives, you're looking at two touchdowns, six sacks, eight penalties, and two turnovers. So uh, stop shooting yourself in the foot, and this offense can be uh, can be capable.
1: All right. So pretty simple there. I, I think, yeah, there is hope. There, there is hope that this team is moving the football more effectively. It certainly matches up with... Some of the feelings that we've had, I think, throughout this football season. It's not all dire that this team can't get it done. All right, you may be hopeful. Hopeful. Ten and two. Here we go, Indianapolis. We'll see you there.
0: Well, yeah, that's, let's not go that far. But <laughs> it, it makes me hopeful. And, again, I, I really like the coaching staff finally turned the page and realized we're just not going to be a running team this year. So mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that maybe – Maybe this won't be the inept offense that we saw against Penn State and Michigan, and we'll see a team that can at least put up you know, 24 or more down the stretch. Because as we've shown consistently, if we can put 24 or more on the board, the defense is going uh, to hold teams under that number. So uh, over the year, 24 seems to be kind of the winning number for the Hawks. So uh, can we do that consistently over the last five games?
1: I think they can. I think they can, and I think they got a shot certainly going forward. All right, Biz, with that, you uh, did the dirty work there. So what, did, were those billable hours for you? How'd that work?
0: Well, no, no, it's just, uh, <laughs> just bonus time. Oh, so, okay. But believe me, I did not enjoy doing it. So uh, don't do any more of these Tuesday podcasts. I, I, like, I like having staff where I do all the heavy lifting, and I just like taking the credit.
1: Eh, Thursday is tough, though. It gets later in the week. I like getting this thing out of, done earlier in the week. Yeah, but then we don't have as much time to uh, get to our picks. Maybe that's a good thing for you, though, because you were awful. We'll get to that a little bit later on. What happened to you last week on your picks? I don't think you've ever had a week that bad.
0: No, uh, I I overthought it, Trent. I shouldn't have went with the over-unders. They've never been kind to me. As you'll see when we get to the picks, I, I went back and simplified it this week. The simpler is better.
1: That is true. All right, Biz. Well, before we get into our picks and take a look at the Northwestern game this week, Let's talk a little Hawkeye hoops. New uniforms this season. Not as good as the women's uniform, but at least an improvement of what we've seen in some of the past years. But we're not here to talk about uniforms. We're here to talk a little recruiting. Recruiting news this week. I was picked up three commitments for the 2020 class, but not commitments that uh going to get a whole lot of articles on rivals in 24-7. In fact, uh, of the three, only one guy even had a D1 offer. That's a problem.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't mean to sound overly dramatic about this, Trent, but it feels like the last 48 hours or whatever of, of retrain commitments are, are, are going to end out being kind of make or break for the, uh, the Fran McCaffrey era. Because, you know, I, I don't even pretend to know much about basketball recruiting. I don't follow a ton of it. Um, I, I don't – hopefully these guys end out being all uh, diamonds in the rough. But certainly they're not coming here with a lot of accolades. I have officiated the uh, Murray Twins multiple times over the years, and they are fine basketball players. They are uh, good players, um, but they've never ever jumped out to me as high-level Division One basketball players. Having said that, uh, when I saw them, they were six uh, three or six four and still growing. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they have sprouted and, and really taken off since going to. Uh, the extra year the prep school. But uh, you know, you don't have to go back too far to look at the last time Fran kind of swung and missed on the, on the class. The 2015 class, Trent, we've talked about in the past, you know, with Brandon Hutton, Moss, Fleming, Wagner, Dale Jones, and Christian Williams. We basically went one for six on that class. Um, and it directly led to a 14 and 19 season a couple of years later. So, I could be wrong, but if if we swing and miss on a on a four person class again, and we go another fourteen and nineteen, I, I don't think Fran survives that again. So, you know, this seems to be a a pivotal pivotal class for for Fran and his uh, future. And I hope he hope he knows what he's doing.
1: I'm right there with you. You know, going back to the first commitment they got in this class a couple months ago when Aaron Eulis committed. You know, another guy that didn't have a ton of offers there, but. I think made a whole lot of sense. A point guard, good size to him, 6'2". Had the Bud Lions, his uh, brother that I recruited very heavily before Kentucky got involved there. Now, a good pedigree, those kind of things. And at least there were some other teams interested. DePaul, New Mexico, at least you know some decent programs here. These latest three kids, though, from the Murray brothers that, uh, like you said, are at prep school right now, but from Prairie, Cedar Rapids Prairie High School and Tony Perp- Perkins, who they picked up the day before the commitment for, a 6'4 shooting guard from out in uh, Indianapolis, I would beat Mac Schools for them, for, for, for Perkins. And then, I, I don't know. The, the frustrating part here with the Murray twins, and it's nothing about Kenya. I love Kenny Murray. And I, I saw Kenny Murray was going after a few people on Twitter here earlier today and said, you know, I wasn't a finished product either. Well, Kenny Murray was a McDonald's All-American. I mean, let's, let's slow down a little bit here in the comparisons between what Kenny Murray was as a high school prospect compared to his sons. They're Allegedly six foot eight now. That's what the recruiting profile says that they've grown another three inches since their time has ended at Prairie. But still, even at six foot eight. And here's another prig problem with it. You're talking about two scholarships here. If it was one, all right, you, you take a shot here. But you're tying up two scholarships here on guys that are at best reaches. That's a frustrating part, too. Scholarships are you ever going to fill the 13 with 13 top 150 players at Iowa? No, probably not. But to tie up two of them, unless the McCaffreys are giving their scholarships back, that's what I'm really struggling with here.
0: Yeah, I I don't disagree with any of that. I I will say I think Fran has probably learned a little bit from some past mistakes in recruiting. I think what Fran has realized the last few years is, you know, Fran has had a history of, of swinging big for recruits, and unfortunately he has missed. Mm -hmm. when he's been swinging big for those recruits and by doing that i think he's he's lost out on some probably capable backup options by by putting all his eggs in one basket and so i i think maybe they've changed their philosophy a little bit this year and uh are going more for for guys that they think are just going to fit their system and 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 be capable players. so again I, i don't pretend to know i i don't watch recruiting videos. I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that any of these guys are bad basketball players or great basketball players. Um, I, I just know what you know, which is that they weren't exactly uh, beating out uh, the who's who of basketball or, or even the uh, <laughs> mediocre mm-hmm. power five teams of basketball to get them. But, you know, you go back, it reminds me a little bit, you know, I talked about 2015 class and how that was a dud. You know, one of I think it was Fran's first class was when he got it, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Nelson and Dev Marble. It was at McCabe, the third one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was Aaron White. There was Aaron White the year, Aaron White was the year after, I believe. But, the, you know, none of those guys, Dev Marble, Nelson, those guys were highly sought at all, and they ended up being great fits. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's kind of Fran just getting back to his roots a little bit and saying, I don't care about, you know, I don't care about stars. Or recruiting rankings, I care more about finding guys that are good fits for my system. Because you and I have talked about it in the past. You know, Fran has a certain system he wants to run, and we have not had the horses to run that system the last four, five, six years because you know, for we just haven't had the talent to do what Fran wants to do. So maybe that's maybe that's what he's thinking. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to withhold judgment, and I guess we'll, we'll wait and see how things turn out uh, You know, two, three years from now.
1: So. Yeah, that recruiting class, Zach McCabe, Roy Devin Marble, those two guys uh, stayed on after Licklider was fired. Melson Basabi came in, and they also found Bryce Cartwright in June, who turned out to be certainly one of the better point guards of the uh, last decade for Fran McCaffrey. Yeah,
0: which is, is said a lot. <laughs> it's, scary, it's scary to think, but that's that's true.
1: All right, Uh, well, that is basketball season. A couple weeks away, we'll get started with uh, Iowa hoops and college basketball. In fact, two weeks away from uh, today, here on Tuesday, college basketball will begin. Iowa that Friday will play their first game of the season uh, against Southern Illinois Edwardsville to get it going in a difficult non-conference schedule. From everything you see us on Instagram, Jordan Bohannon is out there. He's going through practice. So it's trending at least right now that Bohannon is going to be out there and give it a go here this season.
0: I'll believe it when I see it but I hope I hope that's the case you're going to have to find a different thing to rant about this year Trent with the schedule being as difficult no, as it is see, see. you can't have your, your usual angry rant about the uh, cupcakes
1: no, see again as you and Tom Caker and my radio partner Ken Miller and everybody always misconstrues what I say about the scheduling in the non-conference it has nothing to do with the teams you play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge it has nothing to do with the Iowa State game, it has to do with the bye games, and when you look at Iowa's schedule again, I even it, this Seth. season, it. it's the find, exact you can same find the thing.
0: Five RPI and not the three
1: seventy-five. I get it. It man. is SIU Edwardsville. It is Oral Roberts. It's North Florida. Do you know what North Florida' their mascot is? Are they the Ospreys? I think they might be Cal Poly and Kennesaw State. And you can play one or two of those and get away with it, but when you play five of them, it drags your numbers down. Alas, here we are. I- I'm not going to get into it right now. The schedule, it's difficult, but those crap teams are going to still even drag down the non-conference strength of the schedule. That aside, that aside, I- I'll have plenty of time to rant at that at a different time. Let's, uh, let's get back to football. Northwestern comes. Uh, Iowa goes to Northwestern this weekend. A house of horrors, a team of horrors for Iowa throughout the years. Kirk Ferentz, 8-10 and ten in his career against the Mildcats.
0: Yeah, I think we, we did a deep dive into those losses last year, Trent, trying to uh, exercise the demons, and it didn't work. Yeah. So this year, I'm going to make it simple, Trent. This Northwestern team doesn't feel like your usual Northwestern team. It, it feels like a team that's in disarray. Usually, when we play them, they seem to be trending in the right direction. They're not this year, Trent. So I'm going to keep it simple, Trent. We're going to win.
1: Okay. I, I like it. Win. Go there. Win. I'm sure they haven't cut the grass since the game Friday night against Ohio State. That thing was already long. It's going to be a slow track. It's going to be sloppy. It's going to be ugly. i got a pick for that game coming up here in just a few minutes. Speaking of picks, Biz, uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Hey. What's that?
0: Hey, my, my picks were
1: not pretty. No. 0-4 on your picks that you got to pick on your own. We picked the big national game this week. And this week, we're not doing where game day is going to be. What, you didn't want to pick North Dakota State, South Dakota State this week? I don't I, I think it's
0: just South Dakota. Now, I don't think they're going to a Jackrabbit Nation. but
1: uh, They no, are. I, no, you, you're wrong. They're going to South Dakota State. Oh,
0: well, never mind. And that, that tells you how much I pay attention to where the game
1: day is going. <laughs> it's it's at South Dakota State. That's where it's going to be. Yes, North Dakota State, South Dakota State. Uh, looking right now at Vegas Insider, there is no line currently for that game. But you know, Stat Boy and the Hawkeye Super Contest, they'll have a line for that game.
0: Of course. I'm sure I'm sure he's uh, working diligently to find where it's at, somewhere uh, somewhere in the depths of the Internet.
1: That it is. All right, let's get into uh, the games this week and what we got. No, it will be no Jackrabbit. Bison game we will be going with LSU-Auburn. Get a start right there. I got 50 bucks on this one. I- I've gone against LSU a couple of different times. I am staying away from that right now. Give me LSU. I'm going to lay the 10.5 here against this uh, Auburn team. I'm not a big believer in Bo Nix. I know he got it done in week one with that great drive against Oregon. But overall, I would say mildly disappointing season overall for Bo Nix. I just like LSU. I like the offense, so the defense seems to be rounding into form a little bit more even for LSU. So I'll lay the 10 in the hook and take the Tigers.
0: I actually agree with you, Frank. Put 100 on LSU for me as well.
1: 100 on LSU. All right, Biz. What do you got else for us this week? You're staying away from the over-unders, you said?
0: I am, and I'm going to keep it simple, Trent. I've done much better when I've stuck to the Big Ten than when I've tried to uh, venture out to the other, uh, other conferences. So I'm going to keep it simple, Trent. I'll give you all three of my other bets,
1: because
0: mm. they're all three Big Ten bets, So they all kind of have the same flair to them. Um, Illinois is riding high against the Purdue team that's struggling. Give me Purdue minus eight. Wisconsin, obviously coming off a debacle and going into a a dominant Ohio State. Give me Wisconsin, plus 14.5. And And then you've got Michigan State, who uh, everybody's given up on against the wonderful, undefeated Penn State squad. Give me Michigan State, plus 6.5. So give me three teams in the Big Ten that seem down and out, and I'll uh, expect big bounce backs from all three of them. So give me Purdue, minus 8, for 150. Give me Michigan State, plus 6.5 for 150, and give me the Badgers, plus 14.5 for
1: 100. All right, so I got you down 150 on the Boilers and Michigan State, 150 apiece and 100 on Bucky, plus 14 and a hook. All right, I do not go to the Big Ten very often uh, in my picks this week, except for one game, and that is the game that we just talked about. You kept it simple. This has happened too many times. Northwestern in the past has sometimes looked awful, in this matchup. Ten and a half, it's too many points. This thing has some ugly, weird, ridiculous score written all over it. 12-8, 13-11. It's going to be weird. There's going to be weirdness here. It's going to be a tight game. It's going to be in the fourth quarter. Hopefully I was on the right side of it, but plus ten and a half, I will do that all day long. Give me Northwestern plus the ten and a hook in pick number one. Pick number two I'm going to Conference USA, and if you can figure out Conference USA, you're a better man than me. But I got a line that is jumping out to me, and that is UNC Charlotte. The 49ers are at home as they welcome in North Texas. The mean green comes into this one. It has been an inconsistent year with their fine quarterback up there, Mason Fine, at North Texas. Too many points here. Grab the five, grab the 49ers. They're going to find a way to win this game. I'm also going to be playing them on the money line this weekend. My final pick of the college football weekend. So I got a couple here, and we're doing 150 on all three of these picks. I bounced around to a couple of different ones, but one continues to ring true to me. It's been a team that I've been on many times in the past. I'm going back to the well again with Eastern Michigan. They won it outright last week as a nine-point dog. They're a dog again this time on the road. They will not be playing on that beautiful Great turf they normally play at in Ypsilanti. Gibby, Eastern Michigan, plus three in the hook on the road at Toledo. In my third pick, all three of them for one hundred and fifty bucks.
0: So it's Charlotte, Northwestern, and Eastern Michigan—those are some uh, college football blue bloods there, Trent.
1: Hey, you winners, you take them anywhere you can find them. That is the direction you have to go. Find the winners when they come out there, and I think I got a three pack for you this week, Biz. Before we get out of here. Time once again for Business Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Business Beat of the day. Okay, here's Business Beat of the day.
0: Well, Trent, I'm sure as you're well aware and all of our listeners are well aware, tonight is uh, the NBA opener. <laughs> I uh, do not pretend to be an NBA fan and have not been for at least 20 years, but I do have a 10-year-old daughter who is obsessed. Of- with the NBA. She, uh, loves watching YouTube videos of not only, uh, current players, but of old school videos as well. So, uh, she's got me, uh, hooked on being a Milwaukee Bucks fan, or at least I'll pretend to be a Milwaukee Bucks fan. So, uh, go, uh, I believe it's Giannis.
1: Yeah. The, tomb yeah, yeah,
0: road. yeah. Is the correct pronunciation. So go Bucks. They're my prediction to win it all this year solely for my 10 year old daughter. So, uh, NBA action, it's fantastic, Trent.
1: That it is. The Milwaukee Bucks right now, one of the uh, favorites to bring home the NBA title. Taking a look here at the future book and seeing what you can get those numbers at to win the NBA championship. The Bucks, plus You going to fire away on your account and uh, get some money there in the pocket come June?
0: No. Unlike you, Trent, I do know my limitations. I, I don't bet random baseball games, and I sure as heck ain't going to bet the NBA.
1: Oh, you're missing out. It's so much fun. I'll be playing tonight, I'm sure. Got a fire. We got the World Series also starting tonight. Game one, Nationals are uh, plus 180 in game one. Plus 190 to win the series. I got to take a shot at the 90. I have plus 190 here. Values too much, even if the Astros are a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I disagree. Sir. Astros in five.
1: Astros in five. There it is. Baseball predictions, NBA. You get it all here on the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Biz. We'll get back at it next week after hopefully a win against the Wildcats.
0: No, no hopeful Trent. I already told you it's 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 locked this week. Hawks win. Uh, I'll go twenty-four to seven.
1: Thirteen eleven Hawkeyes.
0: <laughs> seems seems like every game between Iowa and Northwestern. Seventeen to ten. That's probably the correct answer. So, all right, go Hawks.